Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. All right, welcome back. We're live at Supex Startup Expo with Mark Wolchek, founding partner at Los Olas Venture Capital. Mark, welcome back to the show. I think this is your third time you've been show. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. So maybe before we get into kind of what you guys do at Los Olas, let's get to know you a little bit better. Maybe give us a quick background, kind of where you grew up, where you went to school, um, how you got to where you are now. Sure. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, New York okay, uh, cool. as a kid and then... I lived in Europe for a number of years. Okay. My mom's originally from Europe. And um, then I ended up moving to Connecticut for college. Okay. Went to Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. And um, uh, from there, I really started my my uh, company called Hire One as yeah. a senior in college. Cool. And uh, we kind of took it from there. We raised two rounds of angel money, uh, three rounds of venture capital, um, grew the company to over two hundred million dollars of revenue, wow. over fifty million of EBITDA, close to a thousand employees. Wow! Um, and then um, took sold a part of the company to a private equity firm in New York, and then ultimately took the company public in two thousand ten. Very cool. So, what made you found uh, Los Olas, and what exactly did you guys do? Yeah. So after leaving Hire One after fifteen years, um, I took about eighteen months off, and then nice. was looking, you know, what I wanted to do next, and I really thought it was very rewarding to work with entrepreneurs and help them build their companies. Sure. And so I had been doing angel investing since 2008. Okay. And um, wanted to sort of professionalize that and got together with Dean, who was one of my partners at Hire One. Right. And, um, you know, he had also, he had taken a few years off. He left the company um, right after the IPO. And so when we got back together, um, rather than just investing our own money, we said, let's pool money from some friends and family. Sure. And then ultimately, we expanded that and raised the real fund um, called Los Olas Venture Capital. And uh, we're currently investing out of Fund One. Okay, very cool. So what types of stuff do you guys invest in traditionally? Yeah, so we invest in B2B um, software, enterprise SaaS, okay. um, variety of tools that make knowledge workers more efficient. So we have some investments in the DevOps space, for example, that make developers more efficient. Um, we have some vertical software applications that help companies, you know, automate some workflow or make various um, functions more efficient. Okay. No, that's interesting. Is there certain verticals you guys invest in or it's kind of all over the map? It really depends. Okay. We, we tend to sort of see things in waves um, because, you know, different technology enables different things. Sure. Um, so like DevOps is something we didn't necessarily expect to get into when we started the fund three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that, you know, it's obviously really important today with developers commanding really high salaries, making those developers more efficient is obviously a top priority for companies. So that's an example. But we've done um, investments in fintech, edtech, um, you know, vertical SaaS applications really across the board. Um, but there's certainly some areas we end up liking more, but sure. that can change you know, year to year as long as it's in the B2B space. Got you. And at what stage do you usually like to invest in companies? I guess yeah. it's probably a little bit different depending on where they're at, but. Exactly. So the stage we really define as more as having proven product market fit, okay. which is somewhat of a 
um, you know, gray, gray zone. But what's important for us is the company's ready to scale. Okay. So they figured out, you know, the right product market fit, the right go to market strategy, um, you know, have built out a little bit of the management team and are now looking to raise capital to really scale what's already working and just take that and grow that. Sure. But obviously, depending on the opportunity, depending on the team, you know, we sometimes stretch a little bit earlier or sometimes we'll make investments a little bit later. But our general goal is right at that inflection point where companies have figured out how to make their product and their company work and are looking for a partner for capital and expertise on how to scale from there. Very cool. So what advice do you give people that are looking to pitch somebody like you guys? Yeah. So, you know, I think ultimately... You know, the advice for anybody trying to pitch is sort of the same as anybody trying to build a company. Sure. Um, it really comes down to, um, you know, building out your team. Okay. I think, you know, one person founders are really, really hard to invest in. Okay. So, you know, first off, having sort of a two or three person founding team is preferable. Find okay. some co-founders, but then also build out your management team. So having a four or five person executive team um, is often you know, a lot easier because there's more expertise, more bandwidth to really be able to scale the company from there. Right. Um, additionally, I think it's really important to figure out the right product market fit and then figure out go to market strategy for that. And there's many ways to go to market. Not everything is enterprise sales. Sure. We've been seeing more and more um, successful opportunities. Um, they're sort of bottom up, um, you know, sales strategies. Um, but it also, you know, you can sort of, sell to departments and then land and expand and try to get an enterprise contract later. Right. So there's a lot of different ways um, to structure or go to market. And that's really important that it's different for every company, depending on the industry and depending on, you know, where your product fits in. Sure. Do you have any advice for people on how to find some of those maybe co-founders or, or kind of founding team members? Because it's really tricky to find good talent. Yeah. And especially in today's environment yeah. where, you know, talent is very hard to come by. Um, a lot of it's networking. Okay. Um, you, know, you can certainly go to events, try to meet people that way, but often it's more targeted. So maybe it's looking for people that have certain experiences, have worked at certain companies, and co-founder can you know is sort of a range. It doesn't have to necessarily be sort of an equal co-founder. Okay. It could be sort of your your first VP of sales or your first CTO, and giving them a meaningful equity stake and making them feel like a founder is really important because you sure. want those early executives to be really part of the team and be all in yeah. and take a lower cash comp in exchange for more equity. Okay. And so I think, you know, there's one of our uh, portfolio companies just brought on a COO okay. um, and we made him co-founder. We gave him a little bit more equity than normally that role would get. Um, but we wanted to have more people to really think as owners and not as, as employees. Sure. Well, and how much do you think giving somebody equity actually motivates them to stay with the company? I think it's a very important piece yeah. for, for the right people. Equity is really why they're at the company. But I think it's more than just equity. It's really creating the right role for them, giving them the founder's title, giving them broad responsibility and getting them internally. You know, founders have this ability internally to bring people together and sort of make an outsized contribution because of their belief in the company and their attachment to it. And so I do think equity is really important at my company. Every single full-time employee um, had equity, I think, through the first eight years. And then as we got closer to the IPO, we sort of carried that back a little bit. But I would say the first three, 400 full-time employees all had some amount of equity. And I thought that was really important because as we did you know, the private equity transaction or as we went public, 
everybody was excited about it and felt part of that process and not, we didn't want people to feel left out. So that was really yeah. important. And I also think too, that people feel like they're more maybe appreciated too, if they actually have stake in the company, at least in my experience, I think you're, and it's not that you don't care about it when you don't have it, but I think you care that like little bit extra, right? Absolutely. You know, it, having that equity and having that sort of ownership, the sense of ownership, and having that responsibility, I think all comes together. So I do think it's a really important tool. And I think, um, you know, some founders are very worried or don't want to give up equity. And I think that's a big mistake. I think to build a big company, it's important to have lots of partners. And that's, you know, your co-founders, that's your investors, that's your employees, that's your um, outsourced vendors. Back at our company, we paid um, our rent, our landlords, with uh, some sort of convertible notes really? or other things. Interesting. Because we wanted them to be part of our success. And so when we wanted to add more space, they always found more space for us. And, uh, smart. You know, we paid our um, executive recruiter that we used for one of our executive roles with uh, equity. So I think giving equity to all your partners um, is really, really important. And I think being too stingy on equity is a mistake for some for many founders. Sure. So do you have any advice for people like how to split that up? I know it's different depending on company and, and whatnot, but is there kind of a general rule? Like, is it a 20% pool for employees and, and the rest, or is it kind of depending? Yeah, there's no easy answer yeah, there. Okay. Um, we generally target about a 10% option pool. Okay. Um, that said, I think, especially with co-founders and with other you know, partners, it's important to just figure out the right capital strategy um, and worry less about dilution. I mean, we used to always joke, you know, cash was a limited, you know, uh, resource for us, mm -hmm. but we could always issue more shares. Um, right. Clearly that dilutes existing owners, but it's important to build those relationships. And by paying for services or paying, you know, your employees with equity, you're essentially raising capital from those people because right. instead of paying them cash, you're selling them shares implicitly. And so I think that's how we think about paying with equity is essentially making your partners, your employees, um, investors in your company. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah, no, I 100% I agree. It's, it's interesting because so many people get worried about getting diluted, but at the same time, if the company shuts down, or would you rather get kind of diluted to raise another round of capital, right? And sure, like it's better to own a small percentage of something that's successful than 100% of nothing, right? You right. hear that all the time, but it's just people always worry, I think, sometimes about like, oh, I'm going to lose. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe, but like you kind of need to do that. Right? Yeah, it's I just think, part of growing. Yeah, that's the key of optimizing the, the chance of success rather than optimizing your, your ownership in that ultimate outcome. I think that's another way to look at it. Sure. So you mentioned to me earlier about speed to market. What's your thoughts on how long should it roughly take a startup to kind of get to market? Yeah, so... You know, I think that, again, really depends on the company sure. and the product and, you know, how complicated the technology is, how complex the integrations are, you know, are there regulated, you know, industry issues. Um, but overall, you know, I think for founders, the key is to get to market and get to an MVP and get a product out there as soon as possible. Sure. So if you can get out there in six or 12 months, for most companies today, you can build a basic product in six to 12 months and get it out there and start getting customer feedback. Sure. Um, and I do think there's sort of a fine balance between, you know, bootstrapping and going slowly versus, you know, when you have something that you think is working and is ready to scale to really, you know, step on that accelerator and get the company going. Because one of the issues we're seeing is that 
most companies don't have real defensibility in terms of you know patents or proprietary technology. Um, most companies really win on execution and speed to market sure. and being able to get lots and lots of customers signed up. And so waiting too long, um, and I often see companies that are sort of testing and building product for three to five years. And wow. many times there's companies, you know, in the, in the major tech centers like New York or San Francisco, you know, the Bay Area that can raise millions of dollars and just move faster. So they may have started two, three years after you. But if you're too slow, they end up leapfrogging you and, and moving much faster than you can. Yeah. Well, and I also think the sooner you get out there, the sooner you start iterating and getting feedback and modifying stuff. And if, if you spend three years or more building a product and then you have to rewrite huge parts of it, that's not fun. Right. And, and then I guess if you don't have, like you're trying to mitigate, at least in my experience, a big rewrite, right? Like a, you might throw away your MVP and rewrite the whole thing at some point based on your customer feedback, but it's easier to do that when you spent three, six months on something than if you spent three years and you have to throw away that whole thing, right? Absolutely. I think that's one aspect is to minimize sort of, or to increase the feedback loop and getting customer feedback. But I think what most importantly is to be able to raise additional capital. You have right. to show traction. And so I think it's a fine line of walking down to sort of, you know, show enough traction to raise the next money and then use that money to get enough additional traction to raise the next money right. um, and really get that growth curve going. Um, because once you start growing too slowly, you get stuck in this sort of spot where nobody wants to invest in your company and you don't have right. money to accelerate the growth. So it's really important to get in a high growth trajectory and then stay there and execute and perform. And the plan is, again, different for every company, how fast it can grow, how much capital you know, companies need. But the key is to develop a plan and then really you know, put fuel on the fire and make the company work. Sure. So do you have any advice for people on how to kind of scale the company quickly? Because that is really challenging. Right. I think that comes back to you know, team and people, as we talked about earlier, building a team and building um, that executive team and then you know, all the folks around that is really the key to building a great company. I mean, sure. Most companies are really only as good as the people involved. And that starts with the founders, the executive team, and then all the employees. Um, and that's really the only way you can scale. Right. If you don't have the right team and you start selling too much, customers will be unhappy because things will break. There won't be any support. So the key is to build a balanced company where you, know, you get the sales, but then you also have the support. And you can deliver the product in a way that you, know, you end up with happy customers. Sure. And I want your thoughts on some companies seem to put their whole kind of product or, or service in like maybe one or two kind of really talented people. That kind of wor would worry me, right? Like I'm assuming your advice is try to get as many talented people across all the verticals, which is extremely challenging, but they can also help you scale based on probably their network and trying to recruit others, right? Like how do you go about actually finding some of those people? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is really networking in, in your industry, finding some industry people, um, using your personal network. Um, but it is very, very difficult to find the right people. And it is key to get great people everywhere. I do think, you know, different companies are sort of the key expertise might vary. So in one company, it could be that having the best data scientists or the best product people is really important because you're going to compete and win on the, having the best product. Right. Whereas in some companies, having the best possible, you know, VP of sales and the best possible sales team matters more. 
and the product is maybe more uh, generic, um, and you still want good people building the product, make sure it works, but having you know the most brilliant data scientists may not be important for some companies. So it's really important to think about what is your competitive advantage, and then make sure you invest in people in those areas for that you know competitive advantage. Sure. So when you guys are putting money in a company, do you have a certain range that you traditionally invest or, or what, how do you guys decide how much money to give a company? Yes, we generally target a first check of about a million dollars. Okay. Um, you know, we've done smaller checks. We've done checks as, as large as one and a half to start. Okay. And then um, we essentially reserve additional capital for follow on in future rounds. Okay. Um, but that's generally what we target. So it sort of depends on the company, the stage, um, and often that's part of a round. So we might put in one million of a two million dollar round, or one and a half million of a three million dollar round, and then it's up to the entrepreneur to fill up the rest of the round. So right. we will often lead that. We'll issue a term sheet, um, and then the entrepreneur works to sort of find co-investors. And okay. sometimes, and we certainly work with them. So we make introductions. We often bring people with us. Um, they can jump on board. Okay, interesting. How important is it? Like, there's obviously a life cycle of the a fund, how important is it to kind of get in early compared to maybe later in a fund? Because if you're looking to raise additional capital and your company's willing to maybe put in a second round, if it's kind of late in the funds, what's your thoughts on when to kind of is ideal for you and for a startup to get investment from you guys? Yeah, so we really um, try to make it sort of not relevant by okay. reserving enough capital. So even our last investment, if we reserve correctly, we should have enough capital to do those follow-on investments. Okay. Um, clearly, it's it's a little bit advantageous. If I was an entrepreneur, I would prefer to be earlier in the life cycle of a fund because one um, that you know you have more patient investors. Most funds have a life uh, duration of ten to twelve years. Sure. So if you have, get an investment in year one, you know no one will be in a rush to sort of create an exit. Whereas if somebody invests in year four or five of their fund, you know, you have a duration of six or seven years left. So it matters a little bit. Okay. But I think the most important is to find the right partners, the right investors. And, you know, I think smart, well-run venture, uh, venture investors will manage that on the background. And entrepreneurs don't need to worry too much about that um, VC life cycle. Okay. And then I'm assuming that if you started a second fund, you would potentially use money from that second fund in some of your first fund investments, or, or how does that work? Actually, that's generally frowned upon by institutional okay. investors okay. because since your investor base is different between different funds, okay. um, you don't want to be sort of accused of supporting fund one investments uh, with fund two money okay. um, because it could be different investors. So generally, that's why what we do is we reserve a significant chunk of money in fund one okay. and we'll roll over and start investing out of fund two even though we may still have, you know, $5 million left in fund one, but that's all reserved now for existing companies. Got um, you. We also have ability to leverage that a little bit. We can borrow against the fund. Um, if we have an exit, we can use some of the money from the exit to reinvest in the other companies. So there's different ways to manage that life cycle. But generally, the cross-investing across funds is frowned upon by institutional investors. Okay. No, that makes sense. And, and so you say 10 to 12 years. Why is that kind of a life cycle of a fund? Um, it's really because investors ultimately want to get their money back. Okay, sure. um, and so our goal is to invest the fund generally in three to five years. I think for okay. fund one, we'll actually be fully invested in three or three and a half years. Okay. And that gives us you know, seven to eight years to work with all the companies and ultimately create returns. Um, and there are ways to extend the life of the fund. 
you can distribute, um, you know, if there are investments left over at the end, you can either distribute those, you can sell them to a special purpose fund. There's lots of ways to create that. Sure. But institutional investors and, you know, individual investors want to see some, you know, deadline on return of their capital with, with gains. Sure. Well, and I think it seems like more and more companies now are taking close to maybe 10 years to either get acquired or IPO where it used to be maybe like three, four years companies were trying to exit, but it seems like the life cycle of a company now has kind of been extended. Do you agree with that or um, what's your thoughts on that? I think that's right. I think, you know, we're seeing holding durations, you know, for investments become longer. At the same time, I think there are more and more options to sort of, you know, sell positions to private equity firms to sort of create liquidity for investors without an exit. Okay. And I think most entrepreneurs and most investors don't take enough advantage of that because there's so much private equity money out there that for successful companies that are generating you know significant cash um it, there's actually a very liquid market of private investors who can essentially you know buy out earlier investors right. or buy a third like at hire one we sold a third of our company to a private equity firm and we used all that money to buy out early investors including management uh, okay. so we were able to take some money off the table and i think that's an important tool that still not enough people think about that you can create liquidity without actually creating an exit. Interesting. But uh, we're out of time. So where people can get more information about you guys? Sure. LasolasVC.com. Okay. So that's L-A-S-O-L-A-S-V-C.com. And that's the best place to learn more. Perfect, Mark. Well, I really appreciate you again taking the time to be on the show. And I'm sure we'll keep in touch and have a good rest of your day. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Cool. Good. Thanks, dude. Good. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future. <laughs>